Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Great Famine, the sitcom Friends and Prohibition campaigners in 19th century Belfast all have one thing in common. They, in some way, shape or form, influenced the popularity of coffee in Ireland today. In this podcast, part two of the history of coffee, we continue the story from the 1850s and see how 21st century Irish coffee culture is nothing new. Indeed, your great-grandparents may well have enjoyed a takeaway coffee as much as you do. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dwyer and this is The History of Coffee Part 2. At the moment, staying in touch with each other is really important to get us through the COVID-19 crisis. While we can't meet in person, on Saturday, April the 11th, 2020, I am organising an online Irish history quiz where you can get together with listeners from the show across the world on YouTube and test your knowledge on Irish history. The quiz itself is going to be free, but if you want to be part of the competition and have your questions corrected, I'm asking you to make a donation whatever you can afford, to the Matter Foundation, which is a great organisation that supports the Matter Hospital in Dublin. The Matter is one of Ireland's largest public hospitals and it's at the forefront of the fight against COVID-19, keeping people in Ireland safe, so I don't think I need to say what a worthy cause this is. Now for the quiz to work smoothly, I really need some sense of how many people are interested, so registration is really important. All you have to do is go to historyquiz.com eventbrite.com and you can register for free. That's historyquiz.eventbrite.com. That essential address one last time is historyquiz.eventbrite.com. I'll put it in the show notes as well, but I'm really looking forward to this event on Saturday, April the 11th. Finally and importantly, I want to say a thanks to the patrons of the show who are keeping things afloat in these difficult days. I really appreciate their support. 
If you want to support the show and get access to the weekly bonus medieval series available only for patrons, you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Now, let's talk about coffee. Dublin in 1917 was a city at war in more ways than one. Iconic buildings such as the GPO and much of the main thoroughfare of O'Connell Street lay in ruins, having been destroyed in the Easter Rising of the previous year. However, the impact of World War I was also being felt by Dubliners in their daily lives, alongside the thousands of men who had signed up to fight. Unrestricted submarine warfare was resulting in major disruption to transatlantic shipping at the time. Goods that had previously been imported from the Americas could no longer be relied on to the same extent. The resulting shortages led to the government introducing price controls on many essential goods and prices for roast coffee were set at 18 pence per pound. Now the consequences of breaking this was very serious. It was considered to be a breach of the defence of the Realm Act and could result in six months imprisonment with hard labour. Now that coffee was seen as worthy of such legislation indicated the massive change in the popularity of the drink that had taken place through the 19th century. In the last episode we saw how at the start of the 19th century coffee was still a beverage of the elite but by World War I it was being enjoyed right across society from the working class to the aristocracy. Elite coffee houses no longer dominated the trade. There were numerous coffee kiosks throughout Dublin, some of which operated 24 hours a day, serving coffee at affordable prices. Indeed, by 1917, the drink was so popular that Joseph Ford, who operated six such kiosks in the city, claimed that they were of a public benefit to Dublin's working class at the time. Indeed, so important was coffee that Ford would even write to the government asking for a subsidy of £600 per year to guarantee his essential service, as he saw it, to the working class could continue in the face of rising costs. Now, in this case, government officials did not agree, but there was no question coffee and how it was viewed had changed dramatically. Coffee's journey from a drink enjoyed by the elite to a popular beverage enjoyed by pretty much all groups in society is intertwined with the phenomenal changes that shaped Irish society in the later 19th century, but also the story of its great rival, tea. The single most important change in terms of coffee was unquestionably that of price. Coffee became more popular basically because it was cheaper. Through the entire course of the 19th century, coffee did not change in price at all. Indeed, by World War I, it was still 18 pence per pound, around the same price it had been around 1830. In the last show, I incorrectly said that that price was actually 25 pence per pound. Now, while coffee remained the same price, wages, on the other hand, had increased sharply. In some industries, they had even doubled. So this now meant that large numbers of people were able to buy coffee. While the drink was more affordable, equally importantly, the later 19th century saw changes take hold that made the drink more accessible. Ireland's train network, which had begun construction in the 1830s, was expanding rapidly and every county was connected by a rail line. As a wide variety of consumer goods now could penetrate rural communities, coffee was available in places that would have been unimaginable in the early part of the century. These changes were all taking place to the backdrop of that great watershed moment in Irish history, the Great Famine of the 1840s, and coffee, like pretty much all facets of Irish life, was influenced by it. 
After the Great Famine, although the change was slower than we might expect, the Irish diet did begin to diversify. While potatoes, which had been totally dominant, remained central to the rural Irish diet, our ancestors' diets did begin to diversify and naturally this process created an opening for items like coffee as it became available. As I was thinking about the growth of coffee in the later 19th century, it also struck me that emigration must have also played an important role in its popularity. While it's very difficult to assess, the growing popularity of coffee in the USA in the later 19th century must have had an influence back in Ireland. In the US, coffee had become hugely popular during and after the US Civil War, and letters back to Ireland referencing coffee may well have had the effect social influencers on Instagram, for example, do today. These letters would have reinforced the notion that coffee was a fashionable drink and a symbol of progress, given the US was, at the time, seen as a promised land by many people in Ireland. However, while coffee was growing in popularity among all classes in society, it hit a glass ceiling of sorts around this time, and this glass ceiling has been something it has never broken through right up to the present day. What I'm talking about here is the popularity of another warm drink, coffee's great rival, tea. Tea had enjoyed a somewhat similar history to coffee, first emerging as an elite drink and becoming massively popular as its price fell. However, its growing demand far outstripped that of coffee. The level of consumption of tea was nothing short of extraordinary. In the 1860s, rural Irish households had been drinking around 1.25 ounces of tea per week. By 1900, this had increased over 12-fold to 16 ounces. Indeed, by the end of that century, some poor working-class households were existing on diets that were essentially just bread and tea. Now, while this naturally limited the impact coffee could have, nevertheless, it did manage to carve out its own market. A limited survey of 269 rural Irish labourers coming from 52 families in the early 1860s indicated that 24% of the population were drinking coffee at the time. However, coffee's ability to survive in the face of the soaring popularity of tea was due to several factors, not least among them that it was seen as morally superior to tea. Strange to say, in the 19th century, tea had a reputation of being a somewhat dangerous drink. Some claimed it was the root cause of insanity, particularly among working class women. There was a widespread idea that tea was a problematic, addictive drug for the working class. Coffee, on the other hand, even though it contained a far higher caffeine content, was not seen in such dangerous terms. These ideas that saw coffee as somehow superior would actually lead to the opening of what became the first coffee chain that started in Belfast in the later 19th century. Dr Orla Campbell has completed a PhD which looks at the story of temperance, that's the attempt to introduce prohibition in Ireland, and her research reveals the extraordinary story of what became Ireland's first coffee chain way back in the later 19th century. While I will look at the story of how coffee rose and fell, only to rise again in the 20th century, later in the show, first we need to hear from Dr Orla Campbell, who can explain the fascinating story of Ireland's first coffee chain and how Belfast in the 1890s had a coffee culture that was not, in many ways, dissimilar to our own. So I began by asking Orla to give us a brief overview of Belfast in the 19th century. 
Pre-farm in Belfast um, is the development of the town into the city. You have high uh, rural to uh, urban migration. You have the growth of the capitalist in industry. And with that is coming a lot of um, drink is increasing as well, the amount of uh, drink in the city. And there's a belief that there's a lot of drinking establishments that are being opened in predominantly working class areas. Um, it's actually true that the number is actually decreasing. To combat the perceived problem of alcoholism, the Irish Temperance League, known as the ITL, was established. Its fortunes, strange as it might sound, were integral to the story of coffee in Belfast. So the Irish Temperance League is officially formed in 1858 and they were formed at that stage primarily to um, bring prohibition to Ireland. Um, So the um, criminalisation of um, the drink trade. Their entire motive was to formalise and organise the prohibition movement in Ireland. Um, And they wanted to bring this about in two main ways. So one was moral suasion, and they would use that to focus on educating people on the dangers of alcohol, um, providing avenues for preventing people um, spiralling into problematic um, drinking patterns, helping people in recovery and uh, developing an alternative lifestyle that was based on um, alternative refreshments such as coffee. Orla went on to explain how the idea of promoting coffee as a substitute for alcohol originated in Scotland. They're highly influenced by what's happening in Scotland. So tea rooms and coffee rooms come from Scotland at the time. It had been well established there by the 1830s. So by the the late 1860s and 70s, when when the ITL really have sort of the money um, and an ability there to start developing their coffee business, they actually hire, I think his name is David Fortune or Fortune maybe, um, they hire him, they take him from Glasgow to Ireland to help create this this, um, coffee market here. I was particularly interested in why the Irish Temperance League or the ITL chose coffee in particular. For the ITL, there's there's three main areas that I would argue that coffee is important for them. So business, the provision of an, an alternative culture, and then as a form of social religion. So I'll just sort of move through those three. In terms of business, that was very important for the ITL. Um, you also have to take the context of grow, a growing capitalist you know, um, society at this stage. So it kind of sort of scapegoats alcohol for all the horrors that are coming out of a growing capitalist society and the traumas that are being placed on people's bodies. And it kind of makes coffee the saviour. Um, and it gives the ITL a way to build a business that will provide money for its philanthropic endeavours. So the first coffee shop that the ITL developed is in 1864, um, and that is in the Temperance Hall in Dublin. And the proprietor of that is a um, a man called Mr. Benjamin Benson, and he was a freed slave who had been travelling the temperance circuit in England during the 60s. And he was um, brought to Belfast, and he was employed by the Belfast Total Abstinence Association first, and then employed by the Irish Temperance League. Um, as first as their agent and then as the proprietor of the Temperance Coffee House in Dublin. But very quickly from that, their business moves to Belfast um, and they start to develop coffee kiosks all around the working class thoroughfares in the city. Um, these had no seats on them, so it was basically for working class men um, to grab a coffee instead of a beer on their way to work. Very successful business that the ITL developed. Um, it was their main source of finance. It was basically keeping them afloat. 
um, and giving them money that they could then uh, use for their philanthropic outreach in other areas. Orla now gives us a sense of what these coffee kiosks and shops might have looked like. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy. And BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone, or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash irishhistory. They would have predominantly hired a husband and wife to be the managers of these kiosks and cafes. So they had three forms of uh, coffee establishments, if you will. They had coffee kiosks that were put in all the working class thoroughfares in the city. They had cafes um, towards more the, the end of the century and they were for cafes and reading rooms and they were for the working classes, but they also had coffee houses and the coffee houses were for middle and upper class members of society. Um, so the the Irish Temperance League's main um, coffee house was on Lombard Street in Belfast. So the bottom floor was their coffee house. Um, I think this had four floors to it. Um, upstairs was an entertainment hall. There was a ladies' parlour and a, a gentleman's quarters with, with um, writing desks. So it was really um, the social hub of the community, these coffee house, coffee kiosks and cafes. I was pretty surprised at the extent of this chain through Belfast. Orla explains how expansive it was. By the end of the century, they had around 15 kiosks in the city. They had 22 cafes and then one high-end establishment, which was their coffee house. So that that's really significant if you think about that. Like, 
I remember seeing an article a couple of years ago um, and when it was coffee was really starting to boom in Belfast again. And there was a news report that said 20 years ago, you wouldn't have seen anybody walking around the city with a coffee in their hand. And I remember being like, no, you would. You would have seen this like in the in the 1890s. Um, it would have been quite it would have been quite the visual representation of how significant the total abstinence movement was at the time. Now, total abstainers believed that every single person who came through there and bought a coffee was abstinent. I don't I, I don't think that, that wasn't true. They, people were just going to work and might have just grabbed a coffee. But they that ties into sort of temperance reformers propaganda and how the use of uh, their business numbers was being used to promote um, their total abstinence message at the time. I was curious how much coffee was being drunk in these shops and Orla was able to give us this account. There was one in particular and it was called The Farmer's Rest and it was opened in, I think it was the 1890s um, and they say that they have estimated 5,000 people through their doors on any given day. <laughs> that, I believe, to be an exaggeration, but they do, um, in 1900, do an extension on it of £1,300, which is quite a big amount of money at that stage so that even though maybe 5,000 people through the day is probably an exaggeration the extension and the money spent on it does show that there, there probably is quite a significant demand for this at the time um, and that's just one that is specifically you know for farmers coming into the city if you think of like I said there by the 19th century there's 15 kiosks and 22 cafes so they're making significant money. Importantly for us is the perception of coffee. I asked Orla to explain why it was that coffee was seen as a morally superior drink. Temperance reformers sort of scapegoated alcohol for all the horrors that were coming um, from the growing capitalism at that time. And coffee is then put up sort of as, as the saviour. This, you know, there is, if you drink alcohol, um, you're either morally or intellectually weaker. So coffee doesn't have this moral um question mark over it um, and if you even think if you're going to work and you grab a coffee that sort of idea of you know I'm focused I'm alert I'm going to work as hard as I can today um, and you have to remember a lot of the temperance reformers were also the employers in the city as well so that was that's an interesting uh, aspect to that that they demonized one commodity and sort of you know made coffee seem like another commodity seemed like the saviour um, of of the the issues that were coming from capitalism at the time. There's really no understanding at this time of, you know, reasons that were driving demand for alcohol, trauma, anything like that. Um, also really no understanding of the fact that you could also get addicted to coffee <laughs> and, and the withdrawals that that will put you in. But I think we're still trying to figure that out today. So we'll maybe not bash them for that in the 1870s. Now, Belfast has a long history of sectarian tension between its Protestant and Catholic communities. I wondered whether coffee in the city was limited to the Protestant community where the Irish Temperance League had enjoyed most of their success. They had coffee kiosks on both of those, both Shankle and the Falls. That, two, of the biggest, two of the biggest working class areas with um, two of the highest numbers of uh, drinking establishments in, in those areas, they had they had quite a few coffee kiosks there. So, yeah, they wouldn't have differentiated it in, like, we'll put them all on in the, the Protestant areas and, and not, not the Catholics. They tried to... It was, it was more um, class-based discrimination rather than, than religious. Um, the belief that the working classes were just inherently, morally and intellectually weaker. 
I'd like to thank Orla for taking the time to talk to me. While the Irish Temperance League were synonymous with the story of coffee in Belfast at the turn of the last century, in Dublin it was a private business who had become inextricably linked with the story of coffee in the 20th century. To continue our history of coffee, we now need to turn to the story of Bewley's. We've already seen that Joseph Ford was operating numerous coffee stands in Dublin in the early 20th century. These were just one of the dozens, indeed hundreds, of coffee outlets which catered to all markets and groups in society. One of the sources I relied on for this show, Martha McIvera's article on the history of Dublin's coffee culture, points out that there were also several more upmarket establishments in the city around this time, places like the Red Bank Restaurant, the Shelburne Hotel and Jury's Hotel. While the clientele varied between these different coffee houses, hotels, shops and kiosks, so too did the quality of coffee on offer. It was common enough to mix ground coffee with chicory to save money, as chicory was not subject to tax. However, the presence and even the percentage of chicory could be identified by simple tests, and inspectors often assayed the quality of coffee being sold in Dublin in the late 19th century. In one court case from 1887, a shopkeeper was convicted of selling coffee that was 20% chicory. Others tried to pass plain chicory off as coffee. We can only assume this was done by people selling hot coffee as well. However, once it was brewed, identifying the presence of chicory was very difficult. While Dublin had numerous establishments that sold hot coffee, as well as ground coffee to prepare at home, The popularity of the drink in early 20th century Dublin was perhaps best symbolised by one café, Bewley's, which became synonymous with the coffee trade in Ireland. The Bewley family were well-established Dublin merchants when Ernest Bewley opened a coffee house in Dublin in the 1890s. This would become a famous chain of Bewley's Oriental cafes, the name coming from the fact that they originally sold China tea sets, but the name would in time be reflected in the aesthetic of the cafes as well. In its early years, Bewley's was a more exclusive outlet, but in the early 20th century, This changed to reflect the fact that coffee had established itself across all classes in society. Beauties in the 20th century was indeed a highly unusual space where you found both rural and urban, working class and middle class customers sitting side by side. However, although Beauties would come to dominate the Irish coffee industry and indeed become the iconic Irish cafe, this was in part at least due to the fact that they had dwindling numbers of competitors as coffee as a whole went into serious decline in the mid and later 20th century. This was in part due to the popularity of tea, which we've already looked at. Even in Bewley's, a coffee institution, tea was sold as much as coffee was. However, it may also have been due to the fact that ground coffee beans were being replaced by instant coffee in many shops and cafes. Various forms of instant coffee had been available since the later 19th century, but it became increasingly popular, particularly after its widespread use by the US Army in the First World War. While it was much easier to make, there was no coffee beans involved, you just need to add hot water to the powder. There was no question, though, it was of an inferior quality in terms of taste. As the overall popularity of coffee dwindled, it was this drink, instant coffee, which would become what most Irish people considered to be coffee. Indeed, in the later 20th century, when Irish coffee, a mixture of coffee, cream and whiskey, became an international sensation, one Irish daily newspaper, the Irish Press, in its cooking columns, frequently recommended the best way to make an Irish coffee was to use instant Nescafe gold blend. 
While we always tend to think of history as linear progress, there is no question by this point in the later 20th century the standard and quality of coffee had declined in Ireland. In many towns across the island, coffee beans would have been sold at the turn of the 20th century, but these had now been replaced by instant coffee. This situation has, however, changed dramatically in the last 15 to 20 years. While tea remains Ireland's most popular drink, in the last two decades, coffee has experienced a resurgence. The numbers of coffee shops that make speciality coffees has increased dramatically, while increasing numbers of people buy ground coffee beans over instant coffee. Like in the 1860s, this resurgence is influenced by several factors. Ireland's economy has been changing dramatically in the last 20 years, creating space for the drink. Economic growth during the Celtic Tiger of the early 2000s allowed people to buy comparatively expensive coffee. The changing nature of the economy also saw increasing numbers of online businesses emerge that did not have offices, creating a demand for cafes to meet in and work from. Many have also pointed to the importance of cultural influences from the USA, similar to those in the later 19th century. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, the sitcom Friends became extremely popular in Ireland. This was based around a coffee shop, Central Perk. Quantifying what role this exactly had is almost impossible, but again, it may have been something similar to the social influencers of Instagram today. And definitely, there's no question, it made coffee seem extremely fashionable. At the very least, it introduced my generation to the idea that coffee was not just a few spoons of Nescafe. Through friends, we were introduced to drinks like lattes and Americanos. In the early 2000s, a coffee culture took off again in Ireland and had already laid down deep roots which were able to weather the financial crash of 2008. Coffee unquestionably faces another trying period in the coming years when Ireland will be recovering from the economic trials that are going to follow COVID-19. However, it's hard to imagine that Ireland's coffee culture will not emerge intact on the other side of this. People will always need somewhere to socialise and cafes will be one of the cheapest places to do this in coming years. I hope you've enjoyed this show. Due to numerous requests, next week's episode is on previous pandemics in Irish history. Finally, don't forget to sign up for the online history quiz at historyquiz.eventbrite.com. That's historyquiz.eventbrite.com. Registering, as I said, is really essential so I have a sense of how many people would like to participate. That address is historyquiz.eventbrite.com. Until next time, Sloan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.